Hey guys, one thing that you will always hear from us on the OSA podcast is that you're not called to be a foster parent. You're not called to be an adoptive parent. Not all of us are called in that arena, right? You may not be called to be a mentor. You may not be called to step into the biological family. But one thing that you will hear is that we are all called to step in somewhere. And so one thing that I love about OCA is that we provide opportunities for everyone to have a launching point, a jumping off point. And so I'd love for you to watch this one minute video that provides a launching point that says, hey, we're going to provide for tangible needs. We're going to connect with a family that needs clothing, that needs dressers, that needs beds, that needs food. That's our jumping point. That's our way of stepping in and saying, hey, I want to care. And this is my place that God has called me to do. So watch this one minute video and hopefully you'll consider, if not immediately, sign up to be a part of OCA Gateway. You know children and families around you are hurting. You know you should be able to do something, but you don't know how or what you can do. This is where OCA Gateway bridges the gap between the needs in your community and people like you who want to help. OCA Gateway connects child welfare workers across Kentucky and Southern Indiana to people in their communities who can help. Workers enter needs into the online system and you are sent an email notifying you that there is a need in your community. All you have to do is click the link in the email and claim the need. If you have items or services that can help families in your community, you can also post those. Workers can see those items when a need arises. The worker who is filling the need will coordinate the details to help you meet the need for the hurting family. We know that one person can't do everything, but everyone can do something. And OCA Gateway is an incredibly easy something anyone can do. Sign up today at OCAGateway.org. Welcome to episode five of our second season here at the OCA podcast. As always, incredibly thankful that you found us and that you take the time to listen to what we do. If you like us, we'd love for you to go on Apple, um, iTunes, Apple Podcasts. I guess that's iTunes, isn't it? But um, And would love for you to rate us, five-star rating. That way more people can find us and more people can be encouraged um, by what we're able to share. And so today's episode is with uh, a youth pastor out of Chattanooga. I learned about Shaq's story a little over five months ago. And Shaq was, uh, was in the foster care system and his world was like a lot of the stories that we hear. He was moved here, moved here, moved there. And one, one high school that he was at, he began connecting um, with a young, young man who was in the youth group and the youth pastor continued to come to his football games. And because of that, Shaq began to know Jesus. And through that, Jesus began changing his life. And so Shaq's story is told a little bit, but Shaq also talks to us about how to connect with teenagers, how to love teenagers, how we can play our part in connecting and moving toward the call that God has called all of us to, not to foster, not necessarily to adopt, but to do something. And so as always, I hope you are encouraged as I was in what it looks like to potentially step into the life of a foster youth, a foster teenager and say, how can I support and how can I love? Hey, Shaq, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to, to be with us here um, on the OCA podcast. It's great to connect with you. I know it's, it's kind of a random thing for us. I know you're down in Chattanooga, but um, I read your story, uh, I think it was sometime in February, and was just impressed and impressed upon my heart and just the way that God has used your life um, and God has guided your life to where you are as a youth pastor now. And so if if you could a little bit, share a little bit of your story with us. You don't have to dive in um, 
to the details and to to all that all that you've been through but in a sense of hey when you entered foster care and kind of how how god brought you out of that yeah so um and first of all thank you for letting me for letting me join um I, i really do hope that this podcast um this episode in particular um is just a part of you know you guys being able to continually mobilize folks to to, to be in the foster system and to, to help because there's a very, very huge need um, and the system is just so broken. And I think a part of the reason that the system is where it is is because of the large need for help. Um, and so, um, yeah, so I grew up, I was a foster kid basically from the time I was born. So about two months in, um, I was a foster kid. And it was mainly because my mom, she just wasn't present. Um, she wasn't really around. Uh, and so um, got to the point, somebody called DCS and uh, we got taken away from her. And I ended up in foster care from uh, 10, 11 years and, uh, you know, just jumping from home to home to home um, until I got to my last home. And th- in that last home, um, they were all believers. And so from that point, um, after I moved in with them, um, they never gave up on us. They never gave up on me and my brother who he was in foster care with me. Uh, they, I mean, they stuck it out with us and, and, and they loved on us very well. They were the kind of family that, you know, they had us in church all the time. And so anytime the doors were open in church, like we were at church. Uh, and so, uh, because of that, you know, when I turned 16, uh, you know, I knew, you know, I chased after all these different things. I knew that the thing that I needed, because I realized that all of those things were just empty. I mean, I knew what I needed was Jesus. And so I ended up, you know, youth pastor was coming to um, our football practices and he was coming to our games and he was, you know, sharing the gospel with us. And that turned into me being invited to his church by one of the guys on the football team and heard the gospel like I'd never heard it before. And then 10 months later, I gave my life to Jesus. Uh, Mm. Just a little bit. uh, There's, you know, some other things, uh, a little bit of abuse that happened in foster care. Uh, but for the most part, um, foster care wasn't terrible for me, especially because of that last family. They just loved on me and my brother so, so well. Hmm. Yeah. So talk a little about what they did. I know you said, you said they, they took you to church every time the doors was open, but what Mm -hmm. stuck with you throughout your, throughout your years? I mean, what stuck with you that said, yeah, this is really, cause it sounds like the seeds that they planted really guided you to that, to that that gospel conversion, right? To that, abs- yeah. to that absolutely saying, I understand the gospel now, and I'm I'm willing to submit and commit my life uh, to Jesus, and that's what my I want my life to be about. But they're the ones that planted those seeds, right? Yeah, and they did, and they were. I mean, so I mean, I think the biggest thing they did, apart from you know having us in the church every time the doors were open, uh, they, I mean, they just loved us. They loved us like parents. I mean, we called them mommy and daddy. And like, to this day, they are mommy and daddy. Like they were, they were just awesome parents. And, uh, I think one of the biggest, one of the biggest things, like just thinking back on my time living with them, like they gave me a sense of hope, like, you know, realizing that I'm not like every other kid, but like there are people like that love me and that want me. And that, I mean, that was a, that was a pretty big deal. Um, and then I think there, there's one thing in particular, actually, when you say that anytime I think about the impact that they had on me, and this is like, <laughs> this might seem like way out of left field, maybe not. Um, Chris, Chris, dad, like he would, he had, um, you know, every once in a while he would get really upset 
and you know he would get upset with us and he would like act on his anger he didn't do anything like crazy or abusive or anything like that but he would like kind of act on his anger like you know we get frustrated and we get mad and sometimes we might yell at people or, or whatever it might be he always i don't remember a single time where he would get angry and act on his anger and not come back and apologize uh, that really, I mean, whether it was me, my brothers or the kids that they had, their, their biological kids, that just always stuck out to me. And it, it was odd to me. I, mean, I never really seen that before. Uh, and like, I mean, to this day, I mean, that's just not some, even I work in a church, it's just not normal for someone to kind of seek you out like that and apologize. And so, um, that was pretty cool. That That's one of the things that just really stuck out to me. And just like all these things that they're preaching, things that I'm learning in church, like it, it's like, this is real. Mm. Just the way they lived their faith out and the way they discipled us as kids. Mm. So what, I, what I'm hearing you say, and they weren't perfect parents, mm-hmm. but they were parents who lived the authenticity, authenticity mm-hmm. and the authentic nature of us as believers that we're supposed to step into, right? I mean, even in that forgiveness element to say, I messed up but I'm, I'm coming to you for reconciliation. I'm coming to you for redemption and for forgiveness. Yeah. I mean, they, they just, man, I, I mean, just thinking about that, I, I could start crying right now in this video, mm-hmm. but they just, they just loved us so well. And they, I mean, they lived it out in a way that no one could look at their life to this day. You cannot look at their life and say, these people do not know and love Jesus. Hmm. Yeah. So, recognizing that and seeing that now as a as a youth pastor as a student pastor um and i think you've mentioned i've heard you mention like you're part of a family ministry at -hmm. the church how do you use this experience to help shape you know it doesn't have to be families that are bringing in foster foster Mm -hmm. families or foster kids but just as a normal i'm not gonna say normal but as parenting right that's that's kind of what you even said. It's stuff you don't see. So how do we begin? What are practical ways that you see? How can we begin to build that up in people to say, hey, begin loving in this way? Yeah, I mean, I think a big a big part of that is just making your kids a priority. The reality about student ministry and even kids ministry in our churches, I mean, until students are out of the home and they're like college age, like, I am not your child's primary discipler. Um, and if you treat the church as the place where discipleship happens at primarily and not your home, um, you know, where father, and I know that there are some homes where, where you know, father is not there, broken homes. But if you treat uh, the church as something that it's not supposed to be, then, I mean, you end up with kids that turn away from the faith. Because, I mean, I think about our kids, we have parents right now that are complaining that two hours on a Sunday night's too long. You think about two hours on a Sunday night compared to the amount of time they spend doing other things during the week, or even just the amount, like the amount of time that there is throughout the rest of the week where there's sunlight. Uh, you take that time. And, and, and if you say this is the only time that we're going to, you know, our kids are going to be discipled, then the rest of that time is really going to be where most of their influence is coming from. Uh, And so just mom and dad, you are the primary disciplers of your children. And if you're the primary disciplers of your children, one of the things that you have to ask not only is like, what am I saying that I believe, but then also how is that practically being lived out? Because I think one of the best discipleship tools that parents have is just their life. 
your life is one of the best tools for discipleship that you have with your kid because they see you day in and day out and they know you, uh, you know them. And so there are wildly more opportunities and more effective opportunities for discipleship in the home than there are with student ministry. Uh, And so my experience in foster care um, really, I mean, it really does like, I don't know, I, I think one of the ways that it helps me in ministry is like, I just realized that there is this God that loved me so much. I mean, he wanted me so much that he was willing to give up everything in order to have me. And I think a lot of parents aren't willing to do that. Um, they're not willing to give up everything in order for their kids. And this, this, is, this might sting for some, but they're not willing to give up everything in order for their kids to gain Jesus. Uh, and, and that, that is, I mean, that there, you cannot put a price on eternal life uh, because the price really that was paid was eternal. And it was Jesus on the cross on our behalf. Does that, does that answer the question? Yeah, absolutely. And I want to, I want to kind of stay in that, in that light because, um, I've heard you talk about, you know, you were the good kid. Your brother was the one that uh, was the bad kid, (laughs) right? I've I've heard you say that, right? No matter what Uh, anybody (laughs) And so, you know, as foster families bring in kids into their home, right? So mm-hmm. you're bringing all types of different traumas. You're bringing all, the, like you said, abuse, neglect, many mm-hmm. different things, right? You were, you entered the foster care system when you were two months old. So you didn't necessarily have this caring, loving adult to create this attachment, which we talk about mm-hmm. atta- attachment in the foster world. So mm-hmm. we're talking about discipling kids. For, for families who have biological kids and um, who have, who are, whose kids aren't from the foster system or aren't from vulnerable homes or aren't adopted, it can seem, and it's still not easy, but the discipling process can be easier. Whereas mm-hmm. these, the, the kids that are coming in from the foster care system, the discipling process can, because they're bringing in so much yeah. different, different things that happened to them right? Not because of them. And they're, they're acting out because of it can be acting out. So how do you go about, it may be the same answer, but it is, it's, it it may be a little bit more nuanced in a sense of if I'm a foster dad, if I'm a foster mom, the discipling process for a kid that I, how do I disciple this kid? Who's let's say your brother, right? The bad kid, right? If we're, if we're using your brother as an example. Yeah. So um, so it is, it is, it's the same answer, discipleship and allowing that kid to see your life. But there are some major nuances in how that's worked out. Major. Um, the number one problem I want to say in foster care, especially with foster parents dealing with older kids, is just a lack of knowledge of trauma. Traumatology or the study of trauma is one of the most important tools that any foster parent can put in their tool belt. Um, books like The Body Keep the Score or um, The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog. And there are many, many other books. Um, honestly, The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog is just an amazing book because it walks you through stories um, and then it gives an explanation of what's going on in each one of the kids' lives and, and, and how you know trauma has affected their brain. Everything from like foster kids to kids whose parents like may have died. The boy who was the chapter that's the boy who was raised as the dog, like, you know, he, he lost his parents and he ended up with an older guy who, you know, I think it was a grandparent and he, the only thing he knew how to raise was dogs. And so he raised them as a dog. 
down to like biological parents who, because of work or, or whatever else, weren't able to give their kids the attention that they needed and accidentally traumatized their kid and, and, and then learning things about PTSD. Traumatology for foster parents understanding and knowing like how the brain works and how the brain is affected by neglect, how the brain is affected by um, abuse, knowledge of those things are just so important because if you know, um, even, even if it's not like, you know, I can talk about the amygdala or I don't know, different chemicals yeah. in the brain, even if you're not able to like articulate that stuff, if you can at the very least understand like these problems that this child has are coming from, from this trauma. And the reason why they're acting out this way is because like, I don't know, they've never had any control. And so maybe you start giving them control and, and, and control can look several ways. Uh, for some kids, it's like, you know, it's not like you give them whatever they want, but you know, maybe you don't talk about things from the past. Like you allow them to control like when they're, when they come to you and they talk to you about those things. Uh, but ed, like being educated in trauma, traumatology, I mean, that's one of the biggest tools because discipleship, if you try and disciple a kid that has been through trauma the same way you try to disciple a kid that is not, you're, you're, the, not only are the results going to be different, but you will find yourself in a place um, that you feel like you, can abs- you can't do anything and, and you might end up, I, I hate saying this. I think that there there are many reasons. Um, you know, if I if I'm when I become a foster parent, me and Rachel, my fiance, we get married in eleven days. We want to foster older kids. Um, the one thing, and I will never tell a kid this, but the one thing that they can do that will make me say you can't be in my home is is hurt Rachel. You can break whatever you want to break. You can be upset. You can say whatever you want to say to me. But like, if you physically hurt Rachel. Like, I can't have you in my home because, like, my wife is my Mm. priority. Like, outside of Jesus, she is the greatest gift that the Lord has given Mm. me. Um, And so one of the greatest gifts that any foster home can give a foster kid is a great marriage. Um, And so uh, knowledge of trauma and how that works itself out and, and being able to take, you know, knowledge of the word and how we disciple and the way we parent kids, uh, marrying those two things uh, I mean, it, the the difference is extraordinary yeah. if you have some knowledge of trauma when it comes mm-hmm. to dealing with kids who've been through, whether it's sex abuse or whatever the case might be. Yeah. And one thing I, I underlying in there, I heard you say traumatology, but I heard you say something and congrats, by the way, on the uh, on the 11 days away. Hopefully they get here yes. soon. soon. Um, but uh, one thing I did hear you say as well in the midst of all that is there's a grace based parenting and it's, it's a tra- it's an understanding of trauma. Right. But I heard you say, uh, we're going to bring in older kids who have foster, like older foster children. I'm going to allow that kid to do whatever he wants. And, and I mean, I'm not obviously within confines, but yeah, but I'm still going to love that kid. He can't, he can't touch my wife, but in a sense of there's an understanding of traumatology to say he's acting out not because this is a bad kid, but because there's something going on. Mm-hmm. How can I get to the heart? How can I understand the heart? And it's a grace-based thing. That doesn't mean that there's not truth. That doesn't mean, but there's a grace-based in this traumatology, the relational element to say, how do we press into it? It's kind yeah. of what I, is what I hear you say. It's kind of, as I've heard your story, there's a relational element to say, this is a grace thing 
for you. This is a grace thing that I hold before you come yeah. to me. Right. It, it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. And there's also consequences. You, yeah. you don't get to break something and not, not sharing the consequences. If you break something like you will pay for it somehow, some way, because one of the things that I, I think, and this, and this just hurts. One of the things that I think is just so unfortunate about kids that are in the system and I'm talking the foster system, that are in the system, it's very difficult for them to get out of the system. They age out, they turn 18, and now they end up in the system, you know, as a criminal. I mean, it's really mm -hmm. hard to get out of the system. If you can teach a kid that there are consequences outside of, like, you're a bad kid and you can't be in this home anymore, if you can reinforce, like, no, this is where you belong, and, you know, because you belong here, there have to be consequences for these actions. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, like there's grace. Goodness, people talking about the grace of Jesus, talk about it like it's sunshine and rainbows. The grace of Jesus is not sunshine and rainbows. The grace right. of Jesus is what sent Jesus to the cross. And so yeah. there are consequences for every action. And, you know, we're going to positively reinforce good actions and, and bad actions. Like we're going to correct with consequences. Um, and those consequences could be as, I mean, it could be anything from, you know, if you, you kick the wall and there's a hole in the wall now, you have to fix the wall. This is coming out of your allowance to, I don't know, you, you break something. And, and instead of me putting that consequence on you, and this is a great opportunity to share the gospel, maybe I'm the one that fixes it. Um, and I just talked to you about like, man, this, this is, this is what this is doing to me. And I, I need you to know, like, this isn't okay. And this, this hurts, but I love you. And so like, we're going to keep fighting for you. Uh, and so, you know, grace does not necessarily mean no consequences. I think grace without consequences, I don't think that's grace. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, that, that's exactly what I'm saying. It just, yeah. You know, you can act out, and it's the reason why I'm going to allow you to act yeah. out is because I know that the reason that you're acting out is not because you're a bad kid. It's it's because you've had some pretty horrible things happen to you in your life, even if it's just like my parents left me. That's a that's a yeah. big deal. Mm -hmm. That's a huge deal. Yeah, you're seeing them as a person and not as this behavior or this thing that's happening. Yes. So where does the church need to step in on this traumatology, right? So because I think as a church, we've got great theology. We've got incredible theology. We, we do a lot of things. But I think sometimes, and you're a part of a church, and you, you can speak more to this than I can, but I think sometimes we, we don't always explore the traumatology, and we don't help our parents or even help our staff, like our, our children's staff or our youth staff, mm -hmm. understand that. Johnny's not a bad kid. His yeah. circumstances aren't the best. So how do we, you know, because there, there in lines the grace, you're accepted as a child, right? And you're accepted for who you are. How do we continue to love and, and push this, push little Johnny or little Annie yeah. forward, right? So where's the, where's the church need to step in for this traumatology that you speak of? Yeah. So I, I think one of the, the hugest disservices that, that just, church leadership does to themselves is they don't educate. I mean, I think the answer is education. They don't educate themselves and they're not educating their parents and, and educating parents is one of the things that we're still working on. Uh, but if you don't know how to recognize trauma, and I don't even want to say recognize trauma because not every behavior is the result of trauma. Some behaviors are just the result of behavior. I don't know. Um, so not every behavior is that. Uh, but if you don't know how to recognize trauma, I mean, you could, dearly miss a lot of things going on in your kids lives and so in student ministry and in kids ministry 
you know, if you have a kid that comes in every single week and this is the happiest kid in the world and then the switch flips and he comes in and he's quiet all the time, every single time he comes in, that's a, that is a huge red flag that something traumatic has happened in this kid's life that has completely rewired his brain. Um, you know, if you have a kid that's showing up and is constantly acting out, like there is a reason why that kid is calling for attention and you got to give them not necessarily the attention that they're asking for, but the attention that they need. Um, and sometimes that's just asking like, Hey, like, are you okay? Like what's going on? And you might not get an answer the first time and you might get frustrated with the fact that you're not getting an answer. I get frustrated. Um, and, and I'm living it. I am, I'm living this. But I get frustrated sometimes and I'm just like, just tell me so that I can help you. Like, you can trust me. Uh, and so I think the way the church steps in is the church, um, the church becomes educated and then educates uh, because, man, there are a lot of a lot of just horrible things that are happening today. Um, and it's just glossed right over like the Me Too movement. No, the hashtag Me Too movement, I think, yeah. is a very good kind of like illustration of that. All these things have been going on for a long time, mm. but no one's recognized it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you you speak as a youth leader, right? So you're a youth leader at a church. You're the youth pastor. You're the student pastor at the church. How can youth pastors begin to step into the lives of young young adults or these, these teenagers, these adolescents who mm. are in the foster care system, right? So, you know, in, in the state of Kentucky, there are 10,000 foster, foster kids. Um, and so usually, um, I guess about a third of those are teenagers or adolescents. And so works where we connect with those at OCA through life coaching, um, through a mentorship program, showing them the love of Jesus. But as a youth where the church is lifted high, lifted up, you know, the body of Christ is lifted up, where can they step in? Where can youth, where can student pastors begin to recognize this is a great need? This is a place that we can step into. How, how do they pay attention to that? How do they move into that? Yeah. Knowing that's our call. Yeah, one of the things that um, church, like youth leaders, youth pastors, kids pastors uh, can do to really help the, the issue of foster care is to, to give up some of their time uh, and devote some of your time to um, organizations like OCA um, or organiza- like different foster care organizations. And one of the things that I've learned is that a lot of these organizations here in Chattanooga, uh, they love positive influences. Um, and so, you know, there's a family that I get to work with um, pretty closely because they're one of my youth families and they have foster kids. Um, but you know, when things kind of start to go wrong, sometimes the foster care agency calls me, Hmm. like sometimes they call me and they're like, Hey, like, like, how how can you help us? Like, what's your beat? Like, what are you like, you know, your last conversation with this family, how did you feel about this situation? Um, because it sounds like, you know, they were feeling this way and now they're feeling this way. How can you help us? Um, and for, for me, it's easy. I mean, I've been single for so long. I've been in ministry most of full-time ministry i've been single and so home visits have been a regular part of just what i do and they can they will continually and and i'll get to bring rachel into some of those um and so like making yourself available and and stepping into the home of foster parents um and just kind of being present because sometimes they just feel like they're alone uh but if you can reach out to i mean if you google you know foster care agencies in 
you know, and put your zip code or put your city, you will find agencies and organizations yeah. that are working with foster kids. And literally the, the, the problem of, I mean, the need for just people, positive like influences. I'm not even saying Christians, like yeah. some organizations that are faith-based are so desperate that they're just like, we just need positive influences. Mm-hmm. Um, so the need for positive influences, um, and I'm going to say the need for just solid believers who are being discipled and want to pour out uh, pour out to, to families and to foster kids, it's just so great in, 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 in the system in general. But these different organizations are always looking for people to come in and just help. And sometimes it's just making yourself available. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have that. Just make yourself available. Yeah. I love what you said there. One of the words that's really stuck out to me over the last few years is I've connected with a couple of um, kids in the foster care system through the life coaching program is the word presence. I've heard you say that three, four, five, six times um, through our time together. Talk to me about, and you said just making yourself available, but talk to me about that importance to you about the word presence and what that means, not only to yourself, because people were present in your life, but as you're noticing it in young people's lives, both in the foster care system and in your student ministry. Yeah, so it's it's actually funny that you mentioned that. So we've been meeting with a lot of leaders uh, as we get ready to kick off student ministry again here in a couple of weeks. Actually, the end of my honeymoon is the first night of youth. Um, what a great way to come back. Ministry. I mean, awesome. I mean, really, though, <laughs> I mean, I'm actually excited about it. Yeah, uh, I think me and Rachel will have a lot of fun with that. And I'll get to like preach with my I'll get to preach again with my students. And I'm, I'm pumped about it. That's cool. But uh, but yeah, so we tell every leader the same thing. The two things that you need are presence and presence. You have to physically be there and you have to be there. The thing about kids and teenagers is they know when you're not. They notice when you stop showing up. They notice whenever you're showing up and you're not actually paying attention to what's going on. And, and you know, you can, you can be serving in a ministry or you can be serving with a family or you can have some like sense of like presence in, in someone's life. But if it's inconsistent, I mean, someone who does something for a year versus seven years, someone who does something for a year consistently and is present consistently for a year has way more impact over someone who is inconsistent over seven years. That's what we tell our leaders. Mm. If you're only here for a year, please be present for that year. If you're here for seven, like don't be inconsistent. Like we need you here. Our students need you here. Um, And so presence and presence are the two things that you absolutely need and to help with an organization, with young people, as well as like just being present in their life. Uh, Because they know, I mean, they know when you're, when you're there or when you're not there. And even if you're there, if you're not there. Yeah. 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 Which is, which is so good. Um, and just in a sense of stepping into that. Thanks for that. I mean, presence and presence, what a great statement to understand how you connect. And as you, as you know, and as you, the foster care world, being presence, being present, people aren't present on a daily, they're there not in a sense of, I mean, they're there, you have people who are workers or you have home or you have parents, but it is from a foster care standpoint to actually be with and connect with. Mm -hmm is unheard of from, and you talk about the positive experience or that those positive people, but just mm-hmm. come with a, with a servant heart is kind of, and say, Hey, I'm here, yeah. not for any other reason. Um, but I'm here to be with you yeah. and I'm here. My sole focus is on you. Um, so I love to just kind of in, in closing, 
just understand kind of as you look, as we move forward, as we understand the scope of the foster care world, what kind of motivates you? What excites you? What brings you hope seeing things that we can step into, right? And seeing the world out there. Yes, it's broken. Yes, it's hard. So much unrest. Where, where are you noticing, hey, this is a great movement in the foster care system? Or where are you seeing things that are, that are exciting you? may not even be in the foster care system, but just exciting you in general. Yeah. Uh, man, that's, that I can answer that question so many different ways. Um, if I'm talking foster care specifically, I'll be honest, there's really not a ton that I'm excited about because mm-hmm. there's not – like I feel like the system's been the same for so long and I actually have some parents I have a, a parent and I, I'm getting a team together we're looking to we're looking to try and change some things and try some new things here in Chattanooga like maybe build a subdivision where foster parents can can live and they can have community with other foster parents that live in that same subdivision wow. uh, um, yeah we, I have some really awesome people here that that I get yeah. to work with. Um, both just as friends and family, but also as just partners in the gospel with foster care. Uh, and so, but if I'm looking just as a whole, and if I put, if I keep foster care in that, if I'm looking at it all as a whole, I think the thing that I'm really excited about, so the pandemic, there's a lot of just awful things that have come from the pandemic, obviously. Yeah. But one of the things that the pandemic did is it, it forced everyone in the united states to just stop Hmm. and one of the things that you learn about trauma if you study like ptsd or or just trauma in general one of the things that you learn is that people can go and go and go and go and go and kind of suppress what's going on in their head Hmm. and and they can forget about the things that they've dealt with or that they've been through but the moment you stop I mean, it's like whiplash. Everything that you push to the back of your mind comes flooding to the forefront. Now, it's good and it's bad. Now, it's good because it gives you the opportunity to deal with it. It's bad because when you have everything flooding to the forefront of your mind, like mental illness and and trauma and, and PTSD, those things can really mess you up. But it gives you the opportunity to kind of right the ship. Um, and so there are two pieces of advice. So I heard you say in closing, so like if I were to leave foster parents, um, with some advice, there are two pieces of advice that I would just highly encourage you, um, to, to take hold of one, you need community. You, you just need community. If you don't, Satan thrives in isolation and Satan is coming after you. He wants you, he wants your family, and he wants any kids that come into your home. Do not sit in isolation. Have community. You're busy. I get that busyness is a thing, but if you're, if you're so busy that you can't have community, some things have to get, they got to get thrown away um, because Satan will have his way with you and he will have his way with your family if you find yourself alone. Um, um, the second thing, the second thing that I would suggest is counseling. Counseling for you as you deal with trauma. So if you read a book like The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog, which I would suggest, like reading it is good. I would suggest listening to the audio book. Um, listening to that 
audio book, I mean, put me in counseling uh, <laughs> because you're, you're listening to these stories of these kids. And for me as a youth pastor, every year at summer camp, we have at least one kid that comes forward about, I, I kid you not, every year we've had at mm. least one kid come forward about sex abuse. Mm. Um, and then there's some things that happen throughout the year as well that have to be reported or things that you find out or physical abuse that's happening at home. When you start dealing with those types of things, you begin to wear those things. And I, and I would say that it's, 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 like in part, it's good that you're wearing the the things that your your kids are going through um, as a foster parent. But when you're wearing those things and you don't have someone helping you um, kind of wear those things rightly in a way that's going to be effective in how you support and, and, and help your, your foster kid or, or whoever deal with those things, if you don't have someone helping you do that, like it, it's going to be very tough and you might find yourself um, in a position where mental illness is just running rampant um, mm -hmm. in yourself. And so, again, the two things that I would suggest are community and counseling, two Cs. They're real simple, mm -hmm. community and counseling. Okay. Do not neglect those two things. Yeah, so good, so good. Shaq, I really appreciate the time. Yeah. It has been good to sit with you and appreciate your heart, your passion, just your authenticity. Um, thanks so much for taking the time to sit with us and connect with us. Well, thanks for letting me come, and I've, I've enjoyed this. I really yeah, have. Appreciate it, man.